Back in the 14th century, in the region that we now call Belgium, there was a duke by the name of Reynold III. Now, Reynold had a nickname, Crassus, and Crassus meant fat. And he was really fat. He, he liked to eat. He liked to eat a lot. And in the course of time, he had a violent quarrel with his younger brother, Edward, which resulted in Edward leading a revolt against him. And Edward took Reynold prisoner, and he took him to Newkirk Castle, where he had a special room built for him. He promised his brother he could regain his title and property as soon as he was able to leave the room. Now, for a normal-sized person, this would have been uh, not an issue. There were several windows and a door of normal size. None of them locked or barred. The problem for Reynold was his size. In order to, to leave the room, he had to lose some weight. But Edward knew his brother's weakness, and he made sure trays of delicious food were delivered to his room every day. So instead of dieting his way out of prison, Reynold just grew fatter. When Edward was accused of cruelty, he replied simply, My brother is not a prisoner. He may leave whenever he wills. Reynold stayed in that room for ten years. And he wasn't released until after Edward died in a battle. But by then, his health was so ruined that he died within a year. He died a prisoner to his appetite. What a picture of sin. In today's passage, Paul begins to warn us about the effect of living in sin and, and what it will have on us. It's not easy, especially with the dangerous cultural reality we live in, but it's necessary for the health of our soul to pursue holiness. We cannot become spiritually fat like Reynold. Read with me our passage this morning. And let's explore this topic a little further. I am in, in Ephesians chapter 4, and I will be reading 17 through 32. I tell you this, and I insist upon it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him according to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former ways of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we all are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. And anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but they must work doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
This morning, we read a warning from Paul to new Christians in Ephesus where he urged them to not become prisoners of their appetites. Listen to the warning one more time. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. They are futile in their mind, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the, of the ignorance that is in them and the hardness of their hearts. You see, this is not the way of living that those first Christians were taught. That is not how they learned Christ, as the verse says. But it is the way they had grown up in the world. They had been taught by the evil that is in the world, a different lifestyle. And now those two lessons are combating one another in these people's hearts. And I know many of you have had the same war that battles in you. It was not going to be easy on those early Christians. Think about where they lived. Ephesus was not some backwater town. It was a thriving seaport, proudly referred to as the Treasure House of Asia. And it was highly prized by the Romans. They had invested a huge amount of money in building the city up. It was the center of life in that area. And the Roman governor would go there to hold legal proceedings. But it wasn't a God-centric city. It was home to the temple of, of Diana or Artemis, the goddess of fertility. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world, large enough to accommodate 24,000 people at one time. And they would burn uh, incense and they would play enticing flute music. And I won't get into what those 24,000 people were doing there at that temple. Ephesus was also a, a city of criminals. The tradition in Ephesus was that if you reached the temple of Diana, they would grant you asylum for your crimes. You couldn't be punished. So there was many people throughout the empire who fled there after committing a crime. So here was Ephesus, an extremely popular city, a very populous city, but also a very immoral city. And that's where you had these Ephesians growing up, and that's where they lived. As you might imagine, it was a very difficult life to be a new Christian there. The temptation to do evil things existed on every street corner, and these new Christians, they lived right in the midst of it. Most likely, they'd been partakers of it before they'd met Christ. You get the indication from Paul's letter that some of these new Christians were probably former addicts, homeless, prostitutes, and worse. So here's the tough question that I'm sure many Christians and Christian writers have wrestled with when they're looking at the reality of the world around them. How can Christians avoid getting dragged back into their old lifestyles? How can Christians avoid being imprisoned by their own appetites? How do you live a life pleasing to the Lord when all that is around you looks so pleasurable and carefree? Those were the questions that faced Ephesus, and they're the same questions we face in our present world. After we ask that question, here's option one. Here's answer one on the table. We simply tell the world to stop. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? Okay, world, stop. It'd be easier for the Christians to live without all the temptation if all that was addictive was just removed from the world. Stop with the pornography, stop with the hate, stop with the cursing and the dirty entertainment. It would be great if it was just that easy. But Paul tells us it's not going to be successful. He says the Gentiles, by which he means all those who are not believers, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. 
They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. The people in Ephesus have been like this for so long that if you would ask them to stop, they would say, why? They are alienated from God. They're prisoners of their own sin. Paul says that they have given them up to given themselves up to sensuality, which is the same idea as giving yourself up now. They have turned themselves in. They have been handcuffed, and now a new authority makes the rules for their existence. People who are lost cannot be told to stop because they are in love with their sin. Several years ago, MTV did a special series on how the entertainment industry views the seven deadly sins. Various actors and singers said things like this. I don't think pride is a sin. I think some idiot made that up. Someone else said, greed is good. One singer of a rock band declared, lust is what I live for. The narrator of the show, Kurt Loder, concluded the series on the seven deadly sins with this declaration. We are dealing with compulsions. The seven deadly sins are not evil acts, but rather universal human compulsions that can be troubling, but highly enjoyable. This is our true theology on sin. Not in Ephesus, but in America. This is our true theology on sin with people who call themselves Christians. Don't lie to yourself. This is our true theology on sin. It's good and highly enjoyable. If it wasn't, we wouldn't do what we are doing. This culture, this place where we can watch binging and cheating and adultery and unhealthy relationships and cussing and cruelty and violence on television, and we listen to it in our music. That is what we do. We have accepted it as normal, but that is not normal. Christians should be turned off by these things. Instead, Christians are swallowing them whole. Do not deceive yourself. Partaking in these things desensitizes you to their evil. We will go further down this road. You're already seeing it. You see television, television shows like Cuties, where it's not much more than mainstream child porn. Or this new show, Unpregnant, where people are having multiple abortions, and they're saying that they are unpregnant. Could you have ever imagined an abortion-based television comedy? You need to be asking yourself, how much time do I spend in prayer and Bible study versus killing your spirit with this trash? You are like Reynold. You're swallowing it whole and not realizing it's killing you. That's what Paul's talking about here. The vast majority of Americans have accepted their cages instead of screaming, get me out of here. They have given themselves up to sin and lust. Paul tells us the Christian should be different if you're not. You should be ashamed. Your second option when handling the evil of the world is to practice social distancing. Go live in a corner. Lock yourself in a monastery. Find a cave somewhere. That's what people did back in the Middle Ages. People tried to escape the world physically. They tried to leave the sin behind and only hang out with holy people. Paul tells us this is not practical to do in 1 Corinthians 5. He tells us that if we want to escape the, the sexually immoral, the greedy, the swindlers, and the idolaters in this world, we're going to have to wait until we die. 
We're going to have to wait until we're not in this world any longer. There's no avoiding the fact that we live in a fallen world full of sin, and it doesn't matter where we run. It will be that way until the Lord returns. Separating yourself from the world, insulating yourself, it's not effective, and it's not our mission. So if we can't make it go away and we can't run away from it, what are you left with? If I can't convince the bad folks to change their bad ways and I can't practice sin social distancing in a cave somewhere, how can I avoid being imprisoned by my appetites just like everybody else? Well, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 4.22. This is what we should do. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You're going to have to make the choice not to live according to your sinful appetites. You're going to have to decide for yourself whether you're going to be worthy of bearing the name of Christ or if you're going to live like a pagan. And before any one of you says something along the lines of, well, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do, remember... That is not your measure of good Christianity. That falls way short of the mark. God wants more for you than to just stop the bad stuff. You're supposed to clothe yourself with righteousness, with the good stuff. Let's say you've been out in a garden, digging in the dirt, pulling weeds, sweating up a storm. You get all done and you realize that you're supposed to go out to eat with friends that night. What do you do? You go inside, you take off your dirty clothes, and you shower. Once you towel off, are you ready to go eat? I hope not. That's an arrestable offense. To be ready to go to the banquet, you've got to put on your nice, new, clean clothes. And it's the same thing in Scripture. It's not enough to take off your sins. You need to replace the behaviors with something else. You've got to put on clean deeds and clean thoughts and clean words. And this is what Paul tells us. As we continue throughout this passage, verse 24 says, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And to help us out, Paul gives us examples of what these clean clothes, of what this righteous living looks like. In Ephesians 4.25, for example, he writes, Therefore, having put off falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Put off falsehood. Take off the lying. Put on the truth. Ephesians 4.26 Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You've got to take off your right to be angry at others and put on a stopwatch. Your anger ends at sundown. It is a sin to let your bitterness nurse for days or weeks or even years. Ephesians 4.28 Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you remember my telling you Ephesus was a home for criminals? There was probably a good number of ex-thieves in the church there. And I suspect they were tempted to go back to the life of crime. It would be easy. And what does Paul tell them to take off? Take off the stealing. And what are they supposed to put on? Get a job. Now, this is what's interesting. Paul doesn't just tell them to go get a job. He tells them why they should go get a job. They should get a job so they have something to share with others. This goes to the heart of changing the thief's motivation. He used to steal because what's yours is mine and I can take it. 
But now he thinks through his honest employment, through the lens of what's mine is also yours. I have something to give to the church. I have something to donate. And lastly, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32, we get into all those verses on our language. Stop letting corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasions that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. What are you supposed to take off? Corrupt talk, slander, whatever words are angry, bitter, clamorous, and malicious. Put on words that build others up and make people feel good. Make sure your words are filled with kindness, tenderness, and that they're forgiving. And I think we can expand each one of those things to go beyond words, but to your actions as well. Take it all off and put on the Spirit of Christ. Church in ancient Israel, the Old Testament, the people, they were told to dress a certain way. So all that they would run into, all their physical neighbors, but also their political neighbors would know, this person is a Jew. This person belongs to God. The clothing symbolized the position and status of one of God's chosen people. And it's not so different now. We clothe ourselves with Christ's righteousness. We put on holy robes. We dress ourselves in good deeds because this is what marks us as different than the world. Here's a truth that should bring all God's God-fearing people to their knees. Is what I do and what I say and what I consume in my mind and body or is what I think any different than the world? Do I look like Christ or do I look like just lost sinners? Our world is not so different than Ephesus. And our call from God is to live not so differently than Jesus did. you got to live a life worthy of the name. I tell you this, not just because it's commanded or because it's right, but because many of you look like Reynold III. You're sick and you're caged, but you don't care because you're fat and you're happy. Don't fall for the lie. Those evil things we do, you're consuming death. And your friend Jesus wants so much better for you. Be much better for your friend Jesus.